Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello, Connie Francis. Hi, my Hi, dear. Hi, Cousin Brucey. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Connie. Connie, you've been feeling better? Everything is okay? You're healing and mending? Everything's and... good. Okay, great. That's so good. Because if anybody, that all of us, all of us listening wants to have uh, feeling good, it's you. Because you've given us so many years of happiness and sweetness and kindness. And that's what your music does. Every time I listen to your music, honey, I just I was telling our, our staff here, I say your name, I get a little smile on my face. Is that nice? Oh, that's so sweet. Thank no, you. It's true. You know, we know each other a few years. And, you know, uh, I don't fib. I, uh, you've always given me such a happy feeling. All right, so what, what's going on with Connie today? Let's, uh, let's talk about today, and we'll talk about, you know, history a little bit. What, what do you, what's going on with your life, and what, what are you working on? What, what can you talk about? Well, I can talk about a certain aspect of it, but it looks very promising. I can't discuss uh-huh. it. I'm not at liberty to discuss it yet. And this but is a... there's something very exciting in the works. Okay, so and, one, uh, thing, one thing I want to ask you, when this exciting thing comes out, which I have a feeling I know what it's going to be. You're going to, uh-huh. you're going to, I'm going to be, you're going to contact me and we're going to get it on the air, correct? So I want everyone to know what you're doing when you're ready. Yes. Okay. That's really nice. All right. So what, what, what goes on with you during the day? You, you've always been an advocate. You've always, you know, helped people. You've always gone out of your way to get involved. You know, so what are you doing with yourself today? I'm enjoying my retirement, Cousin Brucey. You know, I'm seeing friends. Yeah. I, I never had a chance to sit down and have lunch with the girls, and <laughs> that's what I'm doing now. I understand. All right. Because it's funny, you know, I never thought that I'd hear the word retirement from you. I thought uh, we'd uh, go into the sunset together riding. Sunset together, right. I know you since 1957, Cousin Lucy. I know. I know. And, we go uh, back a I, long time. I know. And that must have been a heck of a decision for you to make, to say, you know, I'm going to go out to lunch with the girls and enjoy my life. Because you've certainly earned it, Connie. You've certainly Thank earned you. it. Yeah. Thank so, you. Let's go back a little bit. Let's, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's talk about your dad. Let's talk about your dad, Mr. Frankenair. And I, I'm a, <laughs> am I, am I, I like to say that. I love to go. It makes me feel like I'm speaking Italian. You know, Mr. Frankenair. <laughs> what was the, what was his first name, Connie? George. Okay. Cause I, I remember George so well. I remember him making ravioli and lasagna for me and you being invited me to the house. And he was a darn good cook. Right. And sausage, his famous sausage that he would make himself, <laughs> and he was it became his trademark. I know he was a good, good, good chef. How did he get involved with you musically? What you know? Normally in a family, you know, mom and dad they sort of uh, you know stay in the background and sort of uh, as the Italians would say, quell over their child, right? Which means you know, be very excited. How did dad get involved with you uh, in those early days? From the earliest, it was my father all along, who was the catalyst of my career. 
Thompson University, he brought me a concertina when I was three years old, an accordion. Mm-hmm. When I was three years old, and by the time I was four, he had me doing my first concert at Olympic Park in Irvington, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And then he made me audition for the Oscar Godfrey Talent Scout show. And then he practically had to force me to audition for the Star Time Kids because I thought those kids were so fabulously talented and I couldn't compare with them. But my father thought differently, and I was on that show for three and a half years from New York every Sunday. Mm-hmm. So, right. Star um, Time Kids, so let's just uh, uh, reacquaint everybody with that. That was a, a weekly, it was it a weekly television show yeah, uh, that had amateurs on, right? The television. Right. And were you so scared? The, you must have, you must have been scared stiff. I was scared during the uh, auditions because I thought those kids were big stars. I watched them every week on TV and I was a little intimidated. Uh, but when did. George Sheck, my manager, who was the producer of the Star Time Kids, told me to drop my accordion and just sang, I wanted to kiss his feet. <laughs> I finally got rid of the old accordion. Uh-huh. And uh, when, when you finally got there on, was a on television. In my basement in 67. There was a flood in my basement in 67, and the accordion drowned. I was I threw a big party that night. Huh. Let me ask you, let's go stay with that over, but I'm curious. Uh, when you finally got on to the Star Time Kids, how did you feel? Did, did you become relaxed, and did you know that you had something to offer? Did you become confident? No, but my father had enough confidence for both of us. <laughs> he did. And, he had both. and I started working clubs with my mother in tow um, all over the country. Hmm. And George Sheck became my manager when I um, when Star Time went off the air. And he paid $6,000 for a recording session. He and a fellow named Lou Levy, a publisher, Paid six thousand dollars for an accordion, a, a recording session, where I did demos for for two years, and then I got my own recording contract with MGM at the age of eighteen, seventeen. Seventeen, wow, that absolutely. How many records did you record? Have you, you ever kept score? You know how many records you made? Two thousand eight hundred. <laughs> I knew you'd have the answer. Two thousand eight hundred. All right, two thousand eight hundred. Now I'm going to ask you a tough one, Connie. But I know you well enough. Do you have a favorite? If 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 two thousand eight hundred songs, you do you have a, a favorite that you you or you just think about once in a while and say, "This is thank gosh I thank God I made this record." What is it, Mama? Mama. Okay. Because I think it touched more people around the world than any recording I ever had. Hmm. Well, I cannot fight you on that one. I, I mean, I have a lot of favorites. And by the way, we're going to, at the end of uh, our discussion, our visit here, uh, I hope you're going to be happy with this. We put together uh, some of your greatest hits. Now, normally this would take me about four hours to do Connie Francis' greatest hits, but we put together a medley. Kevin uh, Deutsch put together a medley, and we're going to play that, and I hope that you'll hear that. And uh, I know the audience will appreciate that very much. Dad, Mama. Um, how did you get that record? And did you know immediately that this was going to be one of your, you know, major, major hits? 
No, I didn't. My father picked out that song, too. He told me he insisted that I record an album in Italian. And I in all Italian. And I said, that's old-fashioned. The public will never buy it. It's too ethnic. I fought him all the way. But it turned out to be my biggest selling album, the Italian album. <laughs> but you did, you did fight him, huh? Right? You did fight him. Yeah, I so, did fight so, him all, so, all the way around. So, um, who's Sorry Now, my first single hit. He picked that song out, too. For a year and a half, he tried to get me to record it, and I was stubborn. I didn't want to record it. Hmm. Finally, I recorded it in the last 16 minutes of a session. Oh. And when Dick Clark played it, that was the catalyst that led me to being a stenographer in, and taking shorthand in 1957 to becoming the world's number one female singer in 1958. Right. The, and you were the very, 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 even more, you were the very first female to have a number one hit on the charts, on Billboard. And that stayed right. up there. And then you had another one very quickly after that. You had another number one. You were the very first. You broke a lot of a lot of boundaries and a lot of records, and I think that is great. How, growing up, though, how did this all change your childhood, you know, with people, you know, with your, your schoolmates and people, your friends? How did they react to you after all this fame came your way? Well, I was popular in school because I was on television every week. Ah, that's right. And that's right. On Star Time, and so I was very, I was editor of my school newspaper, co-editor of my school newspaper. I was very academic. I got a scholarship to NYU, and mm-hmm. I went for six months, and then I had a hit record. <laughs> 